Kira, good morning. God bless you. Great to see you all here this morning. I've just spilled a little bit of water. Don't worry about it. Actually, I think I spilled a lot of water. I'm going to have to put this somewhere else. I apologise to the cleaners. I'll give you a box number later to where to send the bill. Okay, well, I hope you have enjoyed the challenge of working through some of the message of the kingdom on the last few weeks. Certainly I know that Jesse and I have. We've had some great discussions about it. And as Peter said, the kingdom of God is endless. There's no bottom to it. Um, and we will still be learning about it in a couple of thousand or million years' time, which actually excites me. It really does. So uh, I know that some people have said, hey, this is a hard message. Uh, I agree. I understand why the disciples said to Jesus, some of the things you say are very, very hard sayings. I agree with that as well. But um, the tragedy of missing it, the tragedy of missing this, is greater than the hardship of gaining it because our whole eternity is affected to some degree and what we grasp and work out of the kingdom of God here on this earth. And for that reason, I make no apology for the challenge that comes out of these messages. But our hope always is the fact that uh, because it's directly from the heart of the Father, uh, that it'll excite you and urge you on to love and good works rather than bring you to a place of condemnation. So, uh, so far what we've looked at, or just some of the points, that we're about the new more than the better. Some of the things we see the non-Christian world do, it would be very hard for us to do them any better. But we do it in a new and a different way with a new and a different reflection. The new comes from the kingdom of God, which is the ultimate power on this earth. And it's relevant to our present life today. We saw that everything out of Daniel 2.44, that everything that is set up against this kingdom will be destroyed. The momentum of the kingdom here in the real life, the real world, is such that anything that stands in front of it will be crushed. That momentum's going on today, despite what you saw last night on the six o'clock news. The momentum of the kingdom, the working of the Spirit of God, which hovers over all the earth, is flowing on, and it will not be stopped until it reaches its ultimate destination of ultimate destination of Jesus coming back to this earth. We also have seen that heaven is the true reality. What we see out this window, our window at home doesn't reflect the reality of what's really going on. And we can only receive that and see that by way of revelation. The Holy Spirit needs to show us it. We need to see through things. We need to see not through the eyes of the world, but we need to see through the eyes of the kingdom, through the revelation the Holy Spirit brings to us. And it's important then that we grasp that. Then last week, Jesse talked about our assignment. What mandate do we have? What part of this kingdom are we called to express? Nobody can express it all. It's way too big and vast for that. So we have to say, what part am I called to do? Then who do I unite with? 
my brothers and sisters in Christ, who do I unite with to be to help in unity achieve what God's called us to achieve? So I want to pick up, the, go to the scriptures for the most relevant passage on this, on what we're just talking about. It's in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15. And here it's Paul teaching, and he says this, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Please note this passage is not about salvation. This passage is applied to those of us who are saved, who are in Christ. And it is the means that God is using to test our work on the basis of rewards. We are not saved by works. But once we do come to know Jesus, we are judged by God through our works on this basis. So, He will be saved yet as through fire. Now, this passage is commonly used about the judgment we as believers face at the end of our life. And that is true. It's a valid use of this passage. But sadly, what we frequently miss is that it's also being applied every day to you and my life. And verse 10 shows us, Paul here is saying, according to the grace of God, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. This is in present day real time. Where God is saying to me, Bruce, are you laying a foundation that other people can build upon? And is that foundation being laid in Christ like a wise master builder? Because anything I do that's not will be burned up, which just means it'll come to nothing. It won't further the kingdom of God. It won't impact this society and this culture in the way that God's calling us to do. And so it's so important that we allow the Holy Spirit not only to bring transformation to our lives. That is so important. My belief is that the key issue for individuals who are saved is transformation. That is the key element. Am I different today than I was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago? Have I, do I reflect more of Christ's nature and character in my life today than I did back then? And hopefully will I in the next five years, and on that goes. It's important that we understand that. But it goes further than that. Once we are saved, once we are moving towards maturity, Jesus sets the bar high without apology. The scriptures say, to those who have been given much, and I want to suggest right here, 
in New Zealand, in this society, this day and age, the way each of us in this room live our lives, compared to the world, we have been given a huge amount. We have freedom. We have life. Within the law, we can basically do what we want. We can meet together here for worship without fear that the police or various people are going to break in the door and arrest us and incarcerate us. We have a huge amount that has been trusted to us. We have the best of health care. Mostly in New Zealand, it's easy to find a job. And if for some reason we can't, we get welfare and help and support. God is calling something back from that. He wants payments plus interest for what he has allowed us to experience and to have. So Jesus sets a high bar without apology. But here is the neat thing. It cannot be done outside of Christ. But what he asks us to do, he asks us to do in Christ, meaning we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to achieve our assignment. So if we come back to what Jesse said last week, everybody has an assignment. The assignment cannot be achieved in our own strength. It can't be done. And often people say, you condemn me with what you're requiring of me. No, you've missed the key element. The key element is you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives within you to achieve things way above and beyond what you could ever do in your own strength. So don't try. Seek the Lord. Seek the power of God. Lay hold of the resources he's given us uh, in Christ. Your assignment, everybody here, your assignment is achievable. In fact, listen to me because I'm choosing these words carefully. God is demanding you achieve it. He's demanding you do it. He's saying, I have given you everything you need. Now, I want something back for my investment in you. And see, this negates all our excuses about what about my upbringing? You don't understand what my parents have like. I got bullied at school or I've had to face loss of family and friends and go through hardship. Yes, these things are real. Yes, these things impact our life. I know that. I've had first-hand experience of it. I've been down as low as you can go through some of the experiences of life. These are valid happenings and they are tough. But underneath it all, and by the way, be careful when people are in a dark place how you quote these things because down then they don't help. They don't help. Believe me, I know it. But underneath it all is the truth that God says, I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And with the temptation, I'm either going to give you the power to overcome it or provide a doorway for you to escape it. That promise is there. God says God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There may be times in your life when that doesn't seem true, and I've had them. It didn't stop me relating to God, believing in him and loving him, but that was about as far as it went. 
but we're still undergirded. I can look back now and see them. I can look back now and see the truth of them. That's one of the reasons why we're meant to encourage one another daily because we're not always on top, but somebody else is. And that's one of the reasons why we have brothers and sisters in Christ, guys. It's so important. But what has been so destructive to us, the people of such blessing in the Western world, what has been so destructive in the teaching is that God is a nice guy who is about giving us a better life and filling our life with possessions. And that just is not true. And you can't find any scripture in the Bible that says that, including Philippians 4.19, which says God will grant us all our needs in Christ Jesus. And you've heard me say this before. I hear prosperity preachers preaching about, and I shout out in my lounge room, Linda hears me from the next room. (laughs) For goodness sake, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. It's not about having big screen TVs and a Mercedes car and pockets full of money. And if you've got all those things, God bless you, more power to you, except God's going to hold you accountable in the way you use them. But Paul's writing this in prison and he's saying, even when I'm here locked in a dark dungeon, God is still able to provide everything I need to fulfill his calling and his purpose in life. That's what Paul is saying. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Even a dark, dingy, rat-infested hole, God can still bring and perform through us everything we need to bring glory to God. That's it, guys. That's what Philippians 4.19 means. So, that was my introduction. So I want to pick up the scripture for today that I want to use, one that you don't hear preached on very often, it's Luke 12, 49 to 51, and it's Jesus teaching, and he says this, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. Hard saying, guys. Hard saying. I didn't come here to bring peace. Does Jesus bring us peace? Yes. John 10 is a great chapter you might want to read if you want to. Does he bring us peace in every situation? Yes. Psalm 23 makes a beautiful picture of this. But is the purpose of Jesus to create a nice life for you and I? Absolutely not. The minute we sign up for Christ and his kingdom, the nice life basically becomes very secondary to what we're called to do. See, here we get one of the rare glimpses where Jesus actually expresses his heart. He lets his heart go out to the disciples and the people he's talking about. And he says how he feels about it. He says, I come to light this fire. And he does light the fire after his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's the fire, guys, it's lit. 
She says, I've come to light this fire, but I've got to go through this horrendous experience and I'm struggling with it. How I wish this fire could be lit, but I have to go through this baptism of suffering and everything that it has and everything that it's going to bring. See, in its historical setting, guys, we have a Jewish peasant who has come from nowhere. The assumption was he came from Nazareth because he grew up there as a boy. We have a Jewish peasant saying, I am going to set a fire burning in this world. And he does. And then he says to you and me, it's better I leave, it's better I go, so you can then continue the work. And you can be in so many different places and different times and filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus knows he has a worldwide mission and he know, he's expressing a longing to fulfill it, but he knows that something must be done first and that's his ordeal of the cross. So here is the principle. The fire of the kingdom of God is burst through suffering, hardship, and sacrifice. Not only for Jesus, Paul says in Philippians, if we don't accept the sufferings like Christ did, we don't have any part in him and his kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is birthed out of pain and suffering. Then what happens? Great rejoicing. The coming of the Holy Spirit was a phenomenal time of rejoicing. I can still remember being baptized in the Holy Spirit myself 40 years ago. It was phenomenal. Hey, it still is, and it always will be. Phenomenal time of coming. But also with the kingdom of God, there is angry rejection to the message. And I promise you, because I have assumed a fair bit of it myself, quite a whack of it comes from the body of Christ. Quite a whack of it comes from people saying, how dare you put me in a position like this with the message that you are bringing and if it's just coming from me, throw it away. But if it's using the words of the master and the quotes of the master and what has been written from the master, we as his sons and daughters need to front up to it. And that's what I live my life for. See, the fire which Christ longed to cast upon this earth and which he ultimately did doesn't come from within humanity, guys. It doesn't come from within the earth people, as my friend Dennis Peacock calls us. See, although Jesus launches it into the midst of humanity, it comes from an entirely different reality. It comes from heaven. It comes from the heavenly realm. It doesn't need to burn anything in the heavenly realm because all who are there in the presence of God are already purified. So it comes and it burns on earth. See, as we've shared, it's not a greater degree or level of intelligence. It's not a higher moral life. Although I wished 
we would all still embrace that. I wish we wouldn't say God doesn't care about immorality anymore. I wish we wouldn't say God doesn't mind that people live together anymore. I wish we wouldn't say that God doesn't care what we watch on TV or what we do through social media because he does. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He gave us his word. It's very specific on a number of these things. But what we're talking about is not even the transformation that all true believers seek. What all of this is about, you and I are empowered and you and I have been transformed so we can bring more glory to God every day so we can be a greater expression of his kingdom and his purposes and what he's endeavoring to do and will achieve ultimately on this earth. And you and I have the great privilege, and I'm talking about you and I, not some of the churches down the road or the people overseas. You and I have the great privilege for being part of this. John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. I want the fire. But it doesn't just burn out there. It burns in here. It burns a lot of things out of my world that I think I want or need or should have by right. It burns those things. See, what is the true church? What are the, who are the true disciples? Those who will bring a new way of life and a new way of living to the heart of the world, one that is drawn out of heavenly places, one that comes from a divine influence and one that will flame and burn its way through the world system, which means, guys, we will not compromise. Linda and I met and got married in the modern world. We did not live together and have sex before we were married. Because we'd say, well, it doesn't matter anymore today and we're adults and we have gone past all those. No, 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 no. Do you know what? I have seven of my own grandchildren and three that are adopted. So Linda, before we got married, like every good woman... I think I got to be a bit careful now. I'm getting on shaky ground. Wanted to come into my home and start setting things up the way that after we are married and come back on a honeymoon, she can enjoy. Well, I appreciate that. Everybody who knows me knows I wouldn't have a clue how to do that. I did keep it clean though. So Linda wanted to go into the house. So here's what we did. I called our kids and I said, could we borrow a few grandchildren, please? They said, come and get the lot. And we'd come and pick up the grandchildren, however many we felt we could cope with, and we'd take them round into the house. So we would be in my home together, and Linda could be doing all the things that you women folk love to do, and I could be spending time with the kids. But the neighbours know we're Christians. The neighbours know we claim to know and love and live by the principles of Christ. So we were not going to be seen in the home on our own, even if it was only two project something that has the right appearance to it. Can you hear what I'm saying? This is so important, guys. 
Jesus does not conform to this world and he insists that we don't either. Whatever the modern issues are. So when this fire comes, it brings with it the gift of life. That's amazing. But it is a destroying power. So when Jesus said, I will cast fire on this earth, he is assuring that in the midst of a fallen, dying, decaying, tragically shattering world, he will bring life. And it comes through you and it comes through me. I like this, this statement from McLaren's commentary. It says this, Jesus promises it will set us on fire, make us glow and flame with earnestness, burn with love, aspire with desire, cleave to him with fervor of conviction and be in some measure like those mighty spirits that stand before the throne, the seraphim that burn with adoration and glow with rapture. This fire, and this is the one Jesus is talking about, this fire that shall destroy all our sluggishness and change it into swift energy of glad obedience may be kindled in our spirits by the Holy Spirit whom Christ gives. Now, I can't do wording like that, but it's all right, he can, so I just use his. I love that. See what he's saying. This is what our Christian walk is meant to look like. And what the experience is meant to be. This is what this is the pearl of great price. And surely it is the field that we are prepared to sell all to purchase. And yes, it does cost everything. And yes, it is hard. And yes, it does burn. But our comfort is knowing that to us it is intended to be a refining fire which doesn't destroy, but it builds up and it empowers us to come closer to God and be more like him and who he intended our life to be. That's the benefit of being in Christ. The fire is still there. The fire is burning. The fire is destroying. But if we are in Christ, the things that's burning from us are things we need to get rid of anyway to be closer to him. And that's our benefit. The cross, coming back to it, is not primarily about us. It's about disempowering sin and setting the scene so that the kingdom of God can be demonstrated and established on this earth in the here and now through God's people. Why does God hate sin? Because it separates us from him and it disempowers us from bringing what he wants to express through the world, through our lives. And that's a tragic price to pay. See, the whole power, guys, is not that God does this. God can do anything and it doesn't mean it's not remarkable when he does it. It is. But the whole power in this is that you and I can do it. You and I can achieve it. Here's the big bet if you want to use that term. Do you know that Satan is on earth? He's not in hell. He doesn't dwell in hell. The scriptures make that very clear. 
and he has his whole network of demonic principalities and powers that are all on earth and different regimes and structures. But here's the bet. Satan believes he's going to be here on this earth for eternity. He believes he's never going to the lake of fire. Do you know why? Because God didn't say, I will establish my kingdom on this earth myself. God says in a three, Ephesians 3.10, I will do it through my church. As a testimony to the principalities and powers of the great glory of God. God is saying, hey, I could do it myself tomorrow. But he's saying, Satan, I will disempower you on the cross. I will make you subject to these people in Christ's name. And then through these very same people, my church, I will establish my kingdom here on this earth. And Satan laughs and says, you'll never pull it off. I know these people. I know what they do. I know how they fight and argue and um, persecute and ridicule one another. You'll never get it together. You'll never make it happen. And until you do, I don't go to the lake of fire, so I think I'm going to be here forever. But do you know what the Scriptures promise? The Scriptures promise the people of God will rise up and they will lay hold of this thing. And in whatever degree it looks like then, Jesus has said in Revelation 19, I will return when the church has made itself ready. I will come back and Satan will go into the lake of fire. Guess who it all depends on, obviously in Christ and the Holy Spirit. You and me and what we are prepared to sign up for. That's it. That's it. Wouldn't it be good to be part of it? We're part of it anyway, but wouldn't it be good to be part of it on this earth? Say, we're going to be those people? We've shared through this series that Satan has gates. Matthew 16. The gates are designed not for us to keep him out. He's got gates to keep out of people of God who see what they are, who see what God who see who God is and what God is about on this earth and they are going to storm his gates and the power in the name of Christ and it says those gates will not have the power to keep us out. The kingdom of God will be take, suffers violence and violent men suffer it by force. We will come and smash down those gates and take back the territory that Christ won for us on the cross of Calvary. That's what Satan's trying to stop. See, we're back against to the passage where Jesus was saying at the time, how I wish that this was kindled, it now is. We're back at the passage that I shared, which I know some people have found very hard. That the rock either crushes us Or we go on top of it and we're shattered to dust, which means we're broken down into the pieces of what God wants us to be. See, this isn't harsh, guys. If we hear this in the right spirit, it's actually triumphant. It's actually crying out that God will have a people 
that were broken but not destroyed, that embraced his kingdom and his purposes and his power and went out and said, whatever it's going to cost, I'm going to take this life by storm and I'm going to make my life count for everything Jesus wants to um, produce and has called us to do and be. So I want to close here. I want to just say this. If I have condemned you, I apologize. But if by quoting the words of Christ, I have convicted you, I make no apology at all. As a teacher of the scriptures, I am commanded to preach the true gospel, not a humanized, watered down version of it. And I refuse to do that. I have too many friends today, many of them you know, many of them were in this church who have traded the true gospel for a viewpoint that comes from their fallen nature. And I am not going to trade the scriptures ever for a fallen nature or a humanistic viewpoint of a God that we create in our own image because it's who we would like him to be. So I want to say this, don't cover your house or your life in water so that the fire can't penetrate it. Because remember what Elijah did when he had the prophets of Baal before him? He said, chuck as many buckets of water on it as you like. The fire will still come. But let the fire of the Holy Ghost come in and set you aflame. I challenge you to embrace the reality of the gift of supernatural divine life from Jesus Christ, believing that it has been given for the purpose of the expression and dedication of the kingdom of God. Let's all seek to be baptized every day with this fire and thank God that he cared enough to refine us Rather than seeing our works get cast into it and be consumed by it, he intended to use the fire to set you and I alight to make a difference in this life and then go and receive the rewards that come with it. This is the pearl of great price. Let's go for it and accept nothing less. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.